0: You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, today we're going to be talking about baptism. We're in kind of a little mini-series before we pick up in Psalms and, and can't wait to continue exegetically just teaching through books of scripture, but want to take a moment um, in these weeks to just unpack some things that that we do around Anthem that might need some explanation. And baptism is one of those, right? When you hear baptism, there is uh, confusion that understandably surrounds that topic. In fact, there is a whole denominations that would say, baptism, that's something you do with babies because it washes away original sin. Others would say, no, baptism, that's actually when somebody gets saved. So until they actually go in and are baptized, they're not saved. They can't go to heaven. God's going to judge them. They're going to go to hell until they get in that water. Well, then other people kind of scoff at that and say, no, baptism doesn't save. Jesus saves, and, but can go to such an extreme and say, well, because it doesn't save, it's really not that important. there's confusion that can surround the topic, if you would have asked me back in the day, hey, what do you think baptism is about? Man, I was all sorts of messed up growing up, right? Grew up in a pretty traditional liturgical church. I was sprinkled as a baby, all that fun stuff. And then it was in high school that God got a hold of me at some summer camp. But I didn't get baptized. I, I don't Believe it wasn't because I wouldn't have been willing, just no one ever told me to get baptized. But it was, it's, then it was one of those deals like when you learn that, hey, this is something you do to publicly profess Jesus, I felt like I kind of missed that window. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like jump rope, like when you're getting like ready to jump in, and then you're like, oh, there, there it goes, right? And so like you miss it, and then it's just, then you learn about it, and then it's gone too long, and so like now it's just going to be awkward. Like, what do I do? And and so here's the extent, right? So, missed that opportunity, didn't get baptized and, and profess my faith, and so I just kind of continued on. I joined our college leadership team. Uh, They let me on leadership without being baptized. I actually taught a class on baptism without being baptized. (laughs) You're like, who let that happen, right? Uh, I went overseas and got to see people come to Jesus as a part of this summer team and told them about the importance of baptism and baptized them overseas, all while not having been baptized. This is where my memory gets a little foggy. I believe I may have even accepted a full-time position on staff with a Southern Baptist Church without having been baptized as a believer. <laughs> okay, so before you think, like, I'm just going to throw rocks today, know that I've been confused before. And some of you are like, who was that church of leadership? I won't drop any names. But, uh, but... Uh, There's confusion, and I want to clear some of that up. As best we can, we're going to open Scripture, and so this is going to be more teaching in nature. Um, We're going to kind of just uh, go through a number of Scripture. I've got them on the screen, but we're going to just unpack this. Again, this topic of baptism. So we're going to uh, study this together in hopes that we really understand what God says about baptism. And so as we do this, we're going to look at history, like, what has baptism been historically? What's the practice that we see in Scripture? How does Jesus define baptism? Is this really a big deal? And then just kind of try and answer some common questions. Make sense? I'm going to pray for us. And Lord, do you just pray that you would teach us from your word, that you would cause us to really wrestle, that we would be able to provide an explanation, that we would um, truly be educated on baptism from your word, from you. And so Holy Spirit, we just open ourselves up for to be taught this morning and just pray that you would move in our hearts and that what we learned today just wouldn't stick with us, that it would manifest itself in some action. And so we just pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing we want to talk about is just historically. Where did this idea come from? We just had baptism, I think three weeks ago, and we saw some college students get baptized. In fact, our most recent baptism, we got some pictures of this, Nate, was on Tuesday uh, where Allison got baptized. Here's her giving her testimony, and then she got into like some pretty blue water. They were saying it looked totally not natural, but pictures of her uh, getting dunked. And so baptism is happening around us, and so it's like, where does this even idea come from? Well, this would have been Um, part of uh, the proselyte ceremony back in the day. What that means is people that wanted to become a part of God's covenantal people, that is this Jewish um, tribe of people that trace their ancestry back to Abraham, people on the outside would want to be a part of God's chosen people. And so ancestry, they would not have that in common. So they would go through kind of a ceremony that had three steps to it, really, to be brought in to that community of people. The first step in that would have been circumcision. that was a sign that God gave to his people. And so saying, you want to be a part of us? Circumcise. All right, you're already starting to sort some people out, right? They're like, well, maybe we'll just be around you. We don't necessarily want to be a part. But circumcision, it was important. It it signified like that that we are sinful and there needs to be this cutting away that just by nature we are sinful. And so circumcision was the first step. The second part of that process of a non-Jewish person becoming a part of that community would have been baptism, this immersion in water. And what it would have signified for them is that they are dying to their old self and their old ways, and they are going to live this new life, putting to death this old person, and they're going to live in the newness of, what, of, of God's people. And then the third step would have been animal sacrifice. Okay, so this three-step process that really highlighted this admission of sin this deep down inheritance sin that we have, but also the behavioral sins that we commit. And so that's the first kind of understanding of where baptism originated from. Well, then John the Baptist starts to amp things up because John the Baptist starts doing a work amongst the Jewish people and he starts commanding them to repent and be baptized. And what he's saying is, recognizing that, yeah, sure, you're part of the, the chosen people of God, but you have not been living like that. You've been living apart from God, and so John comes and he calls people to repent, and he brings this baptism of repentance that they would, Jewish people, die to their, their, their self that they've been living, the selfish ways, and live in this newness of life, and that would have been kind of a shot for the Jewish people that would have had a, a level of pride, like we're the chosen people of God. But now that here they are partaking in a part of a ceremony that would have been for those outside the people of God. But they were doing this willingly. In fact, Matthew three records John baptizing a large number of Jewish people as they're admitting their sinfulness, their disobedience. And so how did they signify their admission of sin? What did they do? They were baptized, immersed into water and brought out. In Acts 19.4, I think we have this on the screen, it says, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. See, John's baptism, John was just a forerunner for Jesus. He, he's saying, there's one that's coming after me, But John, being a forerunner, is is teaching people about repenting. And the way to signify that, this, this dying to their old self and turning, was through baptism in water. And so that's a little bit of history. And when Jesus gets a hold of baptism and gives us our proper definition, he doesn't change it. He just amps it up, gives it a more full picture and meaning. But before we unpack that, let's just define the word, okay? Baptism. It comes from this Greek root, bapto, or baptizo, and this, in Greek, means to dip or to dunk, to uh, just put under. One of the, the uses of it would have been like in recipes, right? Before Jesus, they were using this word, right? It didn't have this religious ceremony tied to it, and so they would say like a pickle recipe. This is like one of the the best proofs they have of like how to use the word pickles. This Greek philosopher, 200 years BC before Christ, he's saying for pickles, what you do is you get boiling water and you bapto, like you, you dunk them into the boiling water and then you baptizo into the vinegar, like you submerge them, leave them there. Okay, we're not making pickles in the church anymore, but you get get the idea behind the word. It means to dunk or to submerge, to to put under when ships went down at sea, they were baptized. <laughs> like put under, submerged. That's what it means. And so we don't translate this word. We just take the word in Greek and we just use the same word. It's a transliteration. We we keep the same word. And therefore keeping the the same meaning. Now, however, with infant baptism, we have this ceremony now that is tied on our head, and we equate sometimes baptism with a ceremony rather than what the word quite literally means, right? And so perhaps a more accurate description of what happened at my infant baptism would have been sprinkling. That, by definition of the word, baptized that wasn't the case in fact the roman catholic church up until the middle ages their infant baptisms they actually fully submerged the infants under water because that's what the word meant and you see how that might go wrong right like dunking babies and so thus after that i don't know what happened but they uh, adopted more of like the sprinkling but For the longest time, it was, baptize them means to submerge, to put them under. Why is immersion important? And it's because of what it represents, the picture. There's a reason that we're to go underwater. In fact, there's scripture I skipped over, this putting them underwater, we see that confirmed when John is baptizing in John 3.23. He's doing this in the Jordan River because there was Water was plentiful. People were coming to him to be baptized, right? This idea that if it's just a sprinkling, John could have done it anywhere, but the fact that he is choosing places in the river where there is much water, because much water is needed to take professing believers and dunk them underneath. And why? Why do we do baptism in that way? Well, we got to look at Jesus' baptism. Like, what does Jesus say about baptism? Baptism. And here's the thing that's confounding for the longest time is like, excuse me, if, if baptism is an acknowledgement of sin and repentance, why did Jesus get baptized? Huh? Anybody curious about that? You got it all figured out? Like, for me, I'm like, what, I don't think Jesus sinned, did he? Like, so why is Jesus getting baptized? He tells us, he told John in Matthew 3, verse 15, John sees Jesus coming, he's like, I'm not worthy to even untie that guy's sandals. And Jesus is saying like, hey, why don't you baptize me? And John's like, I, how about you baptize me? Like, can we reverse this? And Jesus tells him in, in Matthew 3.15, but he answered him, let it be so now, and thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what is he talking about? Jesus being baptized prefigured the purpose for which he came, which was to die for sin, bearing the sins of the world. He would be buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. He would lie there. And then at the end of the three days, he would resurrect to new life, thus defeating death. So Jesus told John, I need to be baptized because this is going to represent, it's a foreshadowing of what is coming. My baptism in Judea is, is a precursor to the baptism that is gonna come in Jerusalem. are saying, well, why are you referring to the crucifixion and all that as is, is a baptism? Because that's what Jesus called it in Luke 12, verse 50. We have this one for the screen. Jesus is telling, I hope we have this one for the screen, Jesus is telling uh, the crowd of people in Luke 12 as he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Saying now, what? This is after John the Baptist baptized him but he is referring to what is coming in Jerusalem. He's saying, I have a baptism to be baptized with and he's talking about where he's going to be crucified, buried and rise from the dead. And so Jesus saying this symbol of going underwater and being raised out of water is symbolic of what I'm about to do in Jerusalem. It's referring to his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, baptism is not only this acknowledgement of personal sinfulness, but when someone is baptized as a believer, you are demonstrating your union with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's our way to share in that symbolically, <laughs> right? We can't share in that like physically, like I really identify with Jesus. Let me go get a tomb, be killed, laid in there, and rise from death. No, he's saying here is a symbolic way to identify with me, not only in admission of sin, but also in my death, burial, and resurrection. Immersion in water is the best way to symbolize that. Does that make sense? That's why sprinkling falls short of that symbolic picture that God has given us. Now, here's the reality. Because it's a symbolic picture, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't make you holy. It's a teaching aid. It's it's an object lesson. In the same way that we use rings for, for wedding, getting marriage, right? They're precious. They're circular. They have no end to them. And so it's a great covenantal illustration for what our marriage is to be precious with no end. And so baptism is this great symbol that God has given us, Jesus has given us to proclaim this profound spiritual reality that's taking place. It's a symbol to display our obedience to Jesus and our trust in him that we identify with him. So when people come to us as, as church leaders and say, hey, I'd like to get baptized, it really leads to some good conversations. On multiple occasions, being in leadership, had people, good-natured people, uh, college students typically say, I want to get baptized. And he asked, well, why? It's like, because I want to wash my sins away. And that's fun conversations because you're like, let me show you where we get the water. This is just tap water. I assure you it's not washing anything away. And it leads to a good conversation that our hope isn't in water. Our hope has to be in Jesus in what he has done. And having that symbol to walk people through points people to Jesus And where their hope and their trust needs to be. And so God has given this symbol for us to to, uh, just put on display what is inwardly taking place. And so that is why Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And in verse 19, which is on the screen, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age can you say go make disciples baptizing them baptism would have been a first step of obedience for those who identify with him as disciples those who want to be followers of Jesus he would say be baptized So now we get a look at the book of Acts. So what did they interpret Jesus to mean there? What did it look like for for them to be commissioned in that way? Acts chapter 2, we're going to see some of the first baptisms in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, Jesus resurrects into heaven. And Acts chapter 2 is where Pentecost and Peter Peter is preaching to a large group of people. Let all those of the house of Israel, says in verse 36... Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And I love verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Depending on your translation, it it might say, What shall we do to be saved? What what must we do? What's his response to these people wanting to, to align with Jesus? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone on whom the Lord calls himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. What should we do in response? Saying, trust Jesus and be baptized. Now, you have to understand, this is happening in Jerusalem. Just a few weeks prior to this, they crucified Jesus. And so now, here they are, publicly professing, in a place where Jesus was crucified, they're publicly going forth and being baptized in Jesus' name. There would have been easier context to be baptized. But they're saying it's worth it. We want to identify with him. And we want to follow him, even if it means following with him and being killed. That's what it meant for the, the first believers, this first step of obedience. John MacArthur in studying How it said it this way said, if a convert, speaking of this time, was not willing to be baptized, there's little confidence that in his repentance. If he was willing to be baptized, he paid a high price, revealing his true heart of repentance. The New Testament, as you read, uh, it uses the word baptism instead of saved because they, you knew someone was saved because they were what? Baptized. I mean, it was so powerful And it marked this turning point. And we see that continue throughout the book of Acts. And I'm just going to rattle off some scriptures. i got a few of these on the screen. But Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, he's preaching the good news. And it says in 8 verse 12, But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, who would have been this magician, himself believed... And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. We're going to see in in, uh, Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching to these Gentiles. And they believe, and he said, Can anyone withhold water for baptism with these people, having received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. In Acts chapter 18, we see Crispus in 18 verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. You're going to see this pattern if we just use Scripture and we just look at the book of Acts, which would have been the days following Jesus' resurrection. If we look at how they applied the Great Commission in Matthew 28, We see that they go and they tell people about Jesus. They ask for forgiveness of their sins. They put their trust in what Jesus has done. And then they get baptized. This symbol that they're trusting in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This admission of of guilt. And so that's the pattern we see. And And the mode in which they do that? Immersion in water. Now, baptism, for those who are repenting of sin, is this profession, this belief. And while it seems clean cut in Scripture, it's not always clean cut. We already talked about the objections a little bit on the front end and the differing views. It's like, how did we get here? If this is kind of what Scripture says, then I would invite you to study it out for yourself and look at the book of Acts and use the Bible to drive us in our practice, it's like, if that's what we're using, why are there all these differing opinions about baptism? And moreover, like, what are the the common objections? I've seen four kind of in my short time as a pastor. One of the most common objections, working with a lot of college students for the longest time, being a college pastor, was there like me, they're just like, nobody ever told me. (laughs) Like, we never opened the Bible and studied it. And so one of the most common things as to why people that love Jesus are not getting baptized and identifying with him in that way is because it just didn't know. <laughs> didn't know that that's what the Bible said. Well, now it's like, okay, now you know. Or now you know where we can find it. Let's study that out together. So that's one of the objections. Another one, this is I struggle with this one. <laughs> it's like, okay, now you know. It's like, hmm. Now I'm struggling with pride, my way versus God's way, because that's what it comes down to. And I love, I remember meeting with a, a guy uh, in, uh, in Cedar Falls in college ministry. He's like, man, he's struggling. I'm, I'm like, Jay, why don't you get baptized? Not RJ, this is Jay in Cedar Falls. I'm like, Jay, why don't you get baptized? He's like, well, I just don't know if I don't understand it. So then we talk through and he's like, okay. I understand it, but I'm still not going to get baptized. I'm like, well, now you're just, before you were ignorant, now you're disobedient. I don't know which is better, right? And he's saying, I just don't want to. And for him, it was pride. It's just, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I just want to pick and choose how I do that. Like, I agree with what the Bible says. I just don't want to apply that part. I mean, that's, you're kind of at a crossroads. Like, if you're, if you're not wanting to get baptized, you're saying, I follow God. My trust is in him. Okay, so why not follow in obedience and be baptized as he commanded? And it's a dangerous spot to be picking and choosing Jesus' commands that you want to follow and you want to uphold as, as, as important. And the ones you say, well, that's really not that important. Do we really have that option? And it's like James 4, 6, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The number of baptism stories where I've seen people humbly say I've been delaying obedience. This is my story. Delaying this obedience for a while now. For whatever reason. And I don't want to delay anymore. I want to identify with Jesus his death, burial, and resurrection. I want to take this step and publicly profess that. And if your objection to getting baptized is not because you don't understand it, because you don't want to. Say, so that's not a great spot to be. Some of it's like, well, I'm not really proud. I don't want to because I'm just scared. I would want to calm your fears and say, man, when we do baptisms, it's just an opportunity to tell people what God has done in your life. And It's not about you on the day. It's about giving God the glory in what he's done. And I, I don't want you to, to be scared. I would I and afraid to publicly declare that and to 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 boast in what he has done. In fact, oftentimes people that are a little more nervous end up just kind of writing out what it is they want to say. And so it's like, well, I don't like speaking in public. Well, can you read in public? Just write it and 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 tell your story that way. But I wouldn't want you to be afraid, and I wouldn't want fear to be okay to keep us from obedience. Does that make sense? Because more than, I would, I just wouldn't want fear to be something that would keep us from obeying God. And so we want to help come alongside that. Another reason people don't get baptized is this, and this is one I'd say, this makes a lot of sense. Saying, why well, don't trust Jesus? Like, I don't believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. I don't want to identify with him in that way. That makes sense. Like, because it is so symbolic of that. And it is an admission of just the sin in our heart. And so, people that don't get baptized, one of the objections is I don't identify with Jesus. Man, I understand that objection, but I would want to urge you to know Jesus in the freedom that He brings as we trust in Him. So, with that, there's still some questions that I come up. Somebody is going to inevitably ask, well, what about my infant baptism? And I would say this, I would say um, thank you to your parents for wanting to point you in the right direction. Does that make sense? That, that oftentimes when people are baptizing infants, a lot of times parents are, are coached to say, this is your way of dedicating to raise your child in a Christian household in a Christian way. That's not, we actually do that here, uh, not the infant baptism part, but we do uh, child dedications. We just don't use water and kind of confuse things. And so I understand like the dedication part of it, but that's by d- not definition, like what the Bible has to say, baptism is to be. And so I understand parents wanting to dedicate their child, but oftentimes what is helpful is when somebody says, no, Mom, Dad, I want to publicly declare this for myself. This is what we see in Scripture. And so I personally want to identify with Jesus. Thank you for pointing me in the right direction. Now I'm going to stand and, and, and profess that on my own. And I know working my mom through it's like, isn't that what you wanted me is to like love God? This is what I want to do to display that. That's hard to rebuttal against. And so I would say, In terms of infant baptism, it's just not the pattern we see in Scripture. And try and do it justice in passing, but um, I think two ways that people get to infant baptism. One that I've heard is through looking at Scripture. There's a couple of instances in Acts where uh, someone repents, they believe, and they get baptized. But not only them, but their whole household. In fact, in the jailer's case, we see that he believes and his whole household believes and they're baptized. The one that I know of is, is Lydia. She believes and it says she was baptized and her whole household. And so one of the ways you get to infant baptism is to extrapolate and say, well, there must've been infants in that household. And so there was infants and, and they couldn't personally believe and so they were they were baptized. Well, yeah. Joe's got a household. He didn't have infants in his household, right? It's pretty big extrapolation to think that just because there was a household that there must have been infants there. And moreover, you know, just... It goes against the pattern we see in scripture, but that's one way that people can kind of get to infant baptism. Another way is, is through this covenantal view saying, well, in the old Testament, there was circumcision and circumcision, you know, it, you had to get your heart right with God, but it was just a way to identify with God's people and and to kind of know who's wanting to walk in that way. And so now instead of circumcision, this covenantal view views baptism as a way to say, okay, we're raising them in the family of God, but, but we'll still maintain that one day when they get older, they're going to need to profess Jesus and invite him in. And then their baptism that they had as an infant will kind of retroactively be applied to that instance. And you can kind of follow the logic behind that, but I don't think you can see that in Scripture does that make sense? And it's hard. There's some guys I really respect. And I'm like, hey, help me. like See where you get that in the Bible. Uh, but again, if we're just using the Bible, what we see is that is for somebody that is repenting, turning from sin, saying, I trust Jesus. And then they believe and are baptized. And so that's why at Anthem, we don't baptize babies. We baptize those who have a credible per- Incredible profession of faith, those that can articulate that their trust is in Jesus, that his blood, his sacrifice is where our hope is. Not in water washing anything away. It's in Jesus alone. So the question then comes one of the other questions is well, should I be rebaptized? To which I'd love to just ask the question back. Like, well, were you ever baptized as a believer? Does that make sense? Like, what did your first baptism represent? If somebody says, well, it was my parents dedicating me as a child, then I'd say, by definition, you're not getting re-anything. You haven't first been baptized. And so, what did your baptism signify, and does it align with what Scripture says, baptism? Now, I think there's some dis- like conversations worth happening, and they get a little murky, and I would say, love to meet with you a part of our leadership, um, whomever. There's godly connection group leaders because there's those scenarios where it's like, well, I think I really dedicated my life to the Lord at this young age. And then I kind of walked in rebellion for a while, but, but now I'm committed again. I was baptized here. Do I need to get re-baptized? And boy, there's some conversation that is to be had. Some of those aren't always super clear. I'd say baptism, if we hold to the simple definition, is for those who believe and profess Jesus and they're to be baptized and walk in light of that. And so certainly not promoting like every time that you sin or you think of bad thoughts, like, well, you better just go jump in the water and identify with him and, and baptism in that way. No, it, it is, it's this symbolic thing that is to be done on the front end first step of obedience, and it's going to inform the rest. That's why, like, my, my wife and I, we have some arguments. It's not like, let's have another wedding, let's get everybody back, and like, let's covenant together, right? I mean, one of those is, is good, and, and plenty expensive enough, and so there's not this need to do that over and over, but, but it is something we draw on and say, no, I am committed to you, I, I, and we can look back on that. So it is it is with baptism. You don't have to be re-baptized every time you fall short. Um, but again, calling on that and living in light of that. What do I do if being baptized is going to create conflict within my family? And I'd say, man, this is hard. I've, I've felt that one where perhaps your understanding of baptism has come along, but your family's understanding has not. And I've seen some tough conflict in regards to this in fact I've seen a college student literally shoved in their house closet by their father saying you're not going to leave here I don't know what is going on this this cult and and you all of a sudden wanted to take your faith so serious and being forced into a closet until they would recant and change their views Man, that is tough. I know that there's opposition that I can't even begin to fathom by some families that perhaps mean well, but now you're in this conflict. It's like, do I obey my parents or do I obey what God clearly says? And that's a choice that I wouldn't want any kid to make, but nonetheless, that does get forced on some people. And I have to say, do as best you can to be gracious with your family and to, to provide a great explanation. Some parents have right to be concerned. You're like, well, just because I want to. And you can't provide an explanation to the obedience that you want to step out in. I can get parents' reservations. But if you can clearly articulate and lovingly try and make that known in a gracious way, mom, dad, I love you. I want to identify with Jesus, and I'm, I'm following him, and my commitment is to him. If it comes to that spot where you've got to choose between obeying your parents or obeying God, again, I, I'm bummed that you'd be put in that spot, but I'd say obey God. Trust God as we walk in obedience with that. So then someone would say, well, what does this mean for membership at Anthem? right? Clearly as pastor of Anthem, you can understand where we're coming from, where we derive this in scripture. And so what is it baptism in regards to membership at Anthem? And we'd say this, some of you guys bear with me. Okay. To be a member at Anthem, do you have a credible profession of faith? Is your trust in Jesus? Are you a believer? And are you committing to Anthem as your local church? Because you can be a believer, but you can be a believer at this church or that church. And so, so to be a member at Anthem, is your trust solely in Jesus? Are you a part of God's family? And are you saying you want to be a part of this family? And so where does, do you have to, um, can a person be a member of Anthem without being baptized? The answer to that is yes. Because if you're a part of God's family, we're saying we'll let you be a part of our family. And here's the But. But just on the front end, I want to be clear, it's going to be uncomfortable. Like, we are going to have that conversation because we believe through Scripture, this is what you do. This is part of your credibility of your profession of faith is that you would be willing to be baptized. And so every time, and we do baptisms a lot around here, every time baptism comes up, we want to have that conversation. we say, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to profess him as your Savior? <laughs> You're going to get dunked. We, we reserve that right. It's like, you can be a part of our family. I mean, you're part of God's family. You're going to, but just know, we're going to have this conversation a lot because we really believe in that. And so we're not going to surrender our view on baptism or adopt something else. We don't want to soften that up. We're just saying, we want to work on that with you within the context of family versus kind of front-end excommunicating somebody on that. We want the opportunity to shepherd And honestly, without drawing that hard line, it really has lent itself well to a lot of conversations. We're saying it's really important to us, but on the front end, because we want to shepherd really well and we highly value that discipleship, I feel like having that view and that, that position has allowed us to have conversations with people versus them just seeing it on a document and saying, well, I'm out. It's like, well, let's have that discussion. I'm telling you, the number of people that I've seen apply for membership and get to have a baptism conversation and be dunked before they ever join membership is more of the view. In fact, at Candeo, our sending church, I think they, held, hold, they do, they hold that same position. And I don't know anybody on their membership that hasn't been baptized as a believer, right? And so functionally how it works out is people oftentimes get baptized to be a member Um, not to be a member, but members are baptized. And so just wanted to be clear on the front end, like that will be a constant conversation because again, it's, it's perplexing. Somebody say, I identify with Jesus. My trust is in him. I just don't want to identify with him in the mode that he's given us. And so that would be conversations when we would want to have those. Baptism then serves as a first step of obedience. It's a starting line, not the finish. And so we want to talk about it and we want to clarify on the front end and we want to have a clear understanding of baptism, but know that it's not the end goal. It's it's the starting point to a life with Jesus and it's our way to identify with him. And so for those that haven't been baptized as a believer, maybe you would consider this kind of your cue to perhaps think that out and have that conversation. And I would just ask like, what would stop you from being baptized. Like what would stop you from identifying with Jesus and proclaiming your trust is in him? It is this beautiful, beautiful symbol that God has given us to, to partake in. This is believer's baptism. So I would want to invite you to do that. For a number of others, I believe it's, it's you've got kids on the way and perhaps you come from a, a family that's like, well, when are we going to baptize them? Hopefully, as we study this out, it gives you a better opportunity to, with a better understanding to have those conversations with family and help them understand that our hope and our trust isn't in religion, isn't in these things that we do, but it's in what has been done through Jesus. So having a proper understanding of baptism, if we're going to be a church that wants to make disciples, is essential moving forward. And so that is a symbol that God has given us. Now, in response, we also have another. There's, there's two ordinances that we still get to celebrate in a church that have this symbolic meaning, right? We don't celebrate the Passover a whole lot with like spreading lamb's blood on our doorposts anymore. Uh, there's some Old Testament things that it's like, yeah, we're kind of, those are gone. But the two New Testament ones that we see are believer's baptism and this idea of communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He gave us another ordinance to kind of walk in that again is going to point to his death, burial, resurrection, his body being broken, his blood being shed. And so both these ordinances point to Jesus. And so we have an opportunity to celebrate in the second one, unless somebody wants to go out to the lake. We didn't bring the trough in today. We can do the, both of them today if you want, right? But, but the one we're going to celebrate now is this idea of, of communion. Communion. And Jesus, taking the bread at the Last Supper, broke it and said, this is my body. Represents my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and said, this is, this is a cup. This represents my blood that was shed. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we get to, again, I love how God has given us these things, these very clear symbolic pictures to remember him. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to get to celebrate communion together. And as we do that, I would invite you to just reflect on the imagery of Jesus' body being broken, his blood being shed for us. And that through both of these things, these ordinances, they're to point us to Jesus. And so I would want that to be clear today, that it's not about rules. It's about relationship and we can have relationship because God sent his son Jesus to die for us, to bring us back to him. And so as the band plays, I just invite you, there's communion uh, stations in each one of the corners, just at your leisure, kind of make your way there. You can take off a piece of the bread, you just tear it off and then dip it in the cup in remembrance of what Jesus has done. I'm going to pray for us as the band gets ready to play. God, we do. We thank you for making a way And we so want to identify with you, Jesus. So thank you for all the number of baptisms that we've celebrated already at Anthem Church. And we just thank you for the ones that are gonna come even this summer with our teams overseas as people want to follow you and want to identify with you. What a powerful thing. And so we thank you in advance for the baptisms that are coming. We thank you for the baptisms we've seen. And God, again, we thank you for making a way through your son, his death, burial, and resurrection that we can have hope in this life and in the life to come, the life after life. And so thank you, Jesus. And it's a joy to just celebrate communion today in remembrance of what you've done.